I'm Bijan Karimi. Welcome to The Reflecting Pool, where I discuss thesis research being done by CHDS students, how the topic relates to the broader Homeland Security enterprise, and what it's like to be part of the master's program. Donald Lowenthal is the infection control officer for the Philadelphia Police Department. He began his law enforcement career in 1990, and while an officer, also became a nurse, graduating in 2006. He was considering a career change at the time but a temporary assignment as the department's infection control officer became permanent, and for the last 13 years, he has remained in this role while also being employed as a nurse at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. The 2014 Ebola epidemic was an eye-opening event for Don. He saw how limiting travel from Africa minimized the impact on the U.S., but he wondered how would it be different if there was an outbreak in a region with more international ties. Post-Ebola, there was some momentum for change in his department, but it quickly faded as other issues took priority. Don persisted and started looking at the Philadelphia Health Department's isolation and quarantine policy, which identified the police department as the agency to enforce any health order. Don knew the police department had no operational policies to implement that order, and that was one of the reasons he came to CHDS. Little did he know that when he graduated, his research would be directly applicable to the most significant global infectious disease outbreak that was only months away. From his home in the city of brotherly love, we started our Zoom discussion with a basic question. What is a quarantine? Nowadays, the words isolation and quarantines are interchangeable, but they're really not. A quarantine is when someone has been near someone who is sick, and now this quarantine person is possibly contagious. A person under isolation is a sick person. They're kept from getting other people sick too, but they're sick. A quarantine person isn't sick. It may have no symptoms. For a quarantine enforcement order to work, we're going to have to convince the quarantine person to self-quarantine first on his or her own. We can do that by providing support. If the person needs meals, uh, make sure this person doesn't have to pay the rent that month. We're doing all these things here in Philadelphia. Only if this person becomes non-compliant and risks others, should we actually forcibly quarantine that person? And over the past several weeks, more cities, some states have decided we have asked individuals to self-isolate, self-quarantine, and you're not doing it. So we are taking more aggressive steps. What role does law enforcement have in enforcing a quarantine or isolation order? Well, this is a brand new world for us. We are doing things we've never done before. I just saw on TV yesterday that in neighboring states, New Jersey state troopers and Delaware state troopers are they're stopping cars with out-of-state plates and turning them around. That's not happening here in Philadelphia. Also, municipalities are enforcing these orders differently. For example, New Jersey locked down quickly and weeks ago, while Philadelphia has not done as much as New Jersey. New York City, for example, is completely locked down. Can't routinely leave New York City or if they can, once they get to their location, they have to self-quarantine. If you are from New York City and come to Philadelphia, you are ordered to self-quarantine for two weeks. Just yesterday, we had a new one for the city of Philadelphia, and it's about dispersing people in groups of three or more on the street. Essentially, we're to issue these people a ticket if they don't disperse. This leads to a lot of different questions. What happens with, if they don't disperse? We're going to issue them a ticket. What if it becomes a violent encounter? Do we arrest these people? What happens if they, they harm one of our police officers? There's a lot of different things that have to be taken into account. And this policy is only a day old. So I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. In your lit review, you describe several perspectives that different law enforcement agencies may have in a pandemic. What are some of those perspectives and what do you think law enforcement's role should be? 
Well, I think our role should be collaborative in nature. I think we should assist the public to self-quarantine if they can. I think we should help identify problems they encounter that will prevent them from self-quarantining and help address them. Our mass transit is running a fewer routes right now. Look, they, people can still take mass transit. Monthly rent has been suspended. The school district of Philadelphia is providing meals to kids, even though school has been closed and is expected to be closed until the next school year. So I think the law enforcement perspective is to be part of a collaborative team and not resort to an arrest until it's the last absolute resort. I know my own police chief talks a lot more about education as the level of enforcement we want to do now. Let's get people to take the right steps on their own. But if we have to, then we will move into a more of an enforcement role. And I think that's been understated so far that people have been looking to, to police departments to make arrests. And really, that's not going to be our primary focus. I mean, we have people calling 911 all the time telling us to arrest three people standing on the corner. That's not what we're going to do. We want to provide them with education and knowledge so they understand what's going on so that they themselves don't get sick or their families don't. For San Francisco, one of the things that has come up is this idea of having a policy, having a plan, and operationalizing that plan. You mentioned going into lineups and starting to discuss this with officers. Describe that a little bit. Early on during the Ebola epidemic, I had everyone's attention. It was a hot topic. People wanted to know about Ebola. It was scary. And there had been a few deaths here, at least one death here, but people had contracted Ebola. So I had people's attention and there was a lot of fear involved. I mean, I had people that wanted to resign. Like would pull me inside. Like, I'm not going to respond to these assignments and then risk my family. I said, well, look, we're going to use some common sense. We're going to use our training. We're going to collaborate with the fire department. We're going to do this as safely as we can. You know, I find it interesting that an officer who faces threats every day, potentially to her or his life, when facing this type of crisis, they say, no, I, I don't want to put my family at risk. I think you hit on it best in that like, it's one thing for me to work as a police officer and risk my life, but I, I know it's part of the job. I definitely didn't have my family sign up to do that. So that's where the, the fear and concern comes in. It's one thing to tell police officers that, you know, you, you might be at risk for something. It's another thing to tell them that their, their families are. It's important for me to provide them with the most correct information as I can. You described three potential policy options. What are those and what do you see as the most effective? Well, I found that there were, in general terms, three different types of quarantine, forced, self, and hybrid. Well, forced quarantine is exactly what it sounds like. Forced quarantine is when a government will force a person into their home or force them into a facility, like was seen in China. Even that wasn't effective. There's been episodes of self-quarantine. For example, in 2003, uh, Toronto and that area was hit with a SARS epidemic. They were able to be successful with that by encouraging self-quarantine. And they only resorted to an arrest at the last possible resort. There's also a hybrid, which it's a combination of both, but they're not always planned that way. For example, when China resorted to a hybrid policy, they realized that their forced quarantine policies weren't being effective. So they finally utilized contact tracing. They traced people who had been contagious and they ensured the patients and the persons in contact with them had been quarantined. And that was most effective in uh, resolving that issue. China saw what didn't work, kind of learned and iterated as they went. You started your research by describing five different outbreaks that happened in Philadelphia. What did you learn from that research that applied for the COVID response? For those five events, 
the city took reactionary measures. You know, back in the late 1700s when the yellow fever struck this area, it was a time when people weren't aware of the mechanism of disease. They only knew people that were sick and their best plan was to keep sick people away from the city. So that was just a reactionary measure. It was effective, not kind, but effective. In the other cases since then, there's been a reaction or overreaction. In 1976, during the bicentennial celebration here in Philadelphia, there were many conventions. And one of the conventions was for the Legionnaires. Legionnaires were older war vets who had served overseas. They stayed at a hotel downtown that had a contaminated HVAC system, and they became sick due to their exposure to that system. That didn't come out for quite a few years afterwards. However, the mayor at the time shut the entire city down, invoked bringing in the National Guard which this effectively ended the bicentennial celebration. It's just another reactionary type of response to, the, uh, to an epidemic or a disease outbreak. And like our current city government has also had a reactionary response, but I think it's been measured. I don't think it's been over the top. I don't think it's been unnecessarily coercive towards our citizens. It was in a tiered response. Initially, we try to keep the schools open. Our schools here not only educate our children, we also feed them. So we didn't necessarily want to close our schools because I know there would be people that wouldn't be fed. We didn't want to close down mass transit because people wouldn't be able to get to work. But as the pandemic got worse, the city realized that we needed to take appropriate steps to prevent the spread of disease. So unlike the past, our response to this pandemic has been reactionary, but I think it hasn't been overbroad. It has addressed the issue at hand, and we are currently preparing for the surge that we expect to happen soon. I've heard many people talk about the need to balance liberty and security, asking people to shelter inside for the, the community security. What are your thoughts on that? Well, here in Philadelphia, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. People are suffering. People have lost jobs. Businesses are closing. And I understand that's a tragedy. People are getting sick. And we've had 26 deaths in Philadelphia. However, these public health orders, like quarantine, stay-at-home orders, they will help end this pandemic. And I think we should keep doing this as long as we can to stop the spread of disease. Keeping in mind that at some point, we're going to have to lift some of these restrictions. We need to lift these restrictions based upon where the outbreaks are. If there's an area of the city that's no longer having an outbreak, maybe that area will have a different set of restrictions and maybe an area that has an outbreak still going on. I think the, each neighborhood in Philadelphia needs to be addressed on the amount of COVID-19 cases they're seeing. If there are additional cases, then there should be restrictions kept in place. For example, in New York City, it's very restrictive right now. They're not supposed to travel. They're not supposed to meet in groups of three or more. But the middle of Pennsylvania, somewhere where it's a rural type community, maybe they're not having any outbreaks anymore. I don't think they should be held to the same restrictions. You write primarily about law enforcement's role in enforcing some type of quarantine, but you don't do it on your own. Different public safety agencies are all partnering together. What are some of the other observations that would help with that partnership? I think sometimes it's difficult for law enforcement to think outside their own silo. We're our own entity sometimes, and we don't ask for help or collaborate with others. I've seen this approach here in Philadelphia in a different light. We have a representative at the EOC, and we're there with a room full of people from a variety of different agencies. And I think that's the way to solve this pandemic. Streets department, hospital representatives, the library, players that we wouldn't necessarily see in the EOC are all taking part. And with their help and guidance and collaboration is going to be the way we resolve this, not necessarily law enforcement by itself. When people think about 9-11, they often remember the phrase, the lights were blinking red. 
kind of a euphemism for analysts and people should have recognized that the attack was coming. You came to NPS because you saw this gap in Ebola, thinking there was other work that needed to be done. Since the 2000s, the GAO has warned about the potential catastrophic impacts of a pandemic. And some of the threat assessments from 2018, 2019, they talked about that. Do you think there was a blinking light or something that we should have been paying more attention to and been better prepared? For me, the blinking red light has has to be the Ebola epidemic in 2014, 2015, because it showed how a disease could affect others in a different country. It was addressed here in the States. We took interest in it. We had resources directed towards it. At my level, at the lowest level, I addressed roll call police officers in the city of Philadelphia, and then it stopped. It just dropped off the map. I know there are other things we need to focus on in the Homeland Security field, but there is no lingering or continuing education or training like this. If FEMA offers some training, it wasn't necessarily focused towards law enforcement. But for me, that's the blinking red light. We saw this coming. In Philadelphia, we had a mumps outbreak last year during my time at CHDS. And I thought, well, this is the perfect time for my agency and other agencies to develop a plan to enforce quarantine orders, just to have it on a hard drive somewhere, not necessarily utilize it, just have something on hand so we can break it out in case of an emergency. And less than a year later, we're in an emergency. So we we had a chance to be on top of this, and we didn't take it. You published your thesis, and we're now in the midst of the very thing that you are researching. Where do you see things going from here? I see the quarantine orders being enforced by law enforcement becoming more restrictive. We talked about earlier how local law enforcement agencies in my region are turning cars away as they enter their jurisdictions. Just yesterday, the police department issued a new policy where we're going to break up people that are walking along in groups of three or more. I would hope that citizens were to take it upon themselves to self-quarantine and not violate stay-at-home orders. But 30 years in law enforcement tells me that's just not going to happen. I'm not sure how we can enforce these orders without arresting them. I don't want to see it come to that. I see it coming to that, but I don't want to see it coming to that. The economic impact of the quarantine is significant. You mentioned it earlier, and that may be one of the reasons why we lift in certain places and keep it down in in others. But there's a lot more pressure locally and nationally to lift that order so we can get back to business. What do you think the next step should be? I think we're going to be under the self-quarantine orders until at least the end of the month, per the president's directive. Local municipalities tend to follow the federal lead. Once the April 30th deadline is over, unless there's further direction, it's going to be left to the local municipalities to come up with a plan. And that plan should be based upon outbreaks in their area. Pennsylvania is a large state. We have three major cities. We have Pittsburgh to the west, Harrisburg in the center, and Philadelphia to the east. Policies that are effective in Philadelphia may not be effective in Carbon County with smaller population. So I think direction should be based upon COVID-19 cases in your region. What class helped you the most and what would you say to a prospective applicant? First of all, if you're looking at this program, don't necessarily be bound to the fact that you may or not be a first responder or a typical student at CHDS. I, I didn't feel I belonged. I, although I carry a badge and a, a gun, I certainly don't have a typical law enforcement career and haven't had one for such a long time. But once I arrived at CHDS, I was just made available to so many different learning opportunities, not only the classes, the instructors, but the cohort around me. It was an incredible experience. I'll take it back to my department and and we're using that knowledge right now. So I would talk to that prospective applicant and explain to them, like, look into this program. Even if you don't think you belong, enroll. Take a long, hard look at CHDS. It could really help you and your community.
It's that diversity of thought perspective that we all benefit from one another's ideas. I agree. Yes. Less than two weeks after 9-11, 22 departments were unified into the Office of Homeland Security with the goal of safeguarding the country against terrorism and responding to any future attacks. Between 2002 and 2017, over $2.8 trillion was spent to meet that goal of deterring a future event. But it came at the expense of preparing for a less likely but more devastating scenario. In December 2019, in Wuhan, China, a novel coronavirus we now call COVID-19 began. In a matter of months, the virus spread and became a global pandemic with all but a few nations now tracking cases. Unfortunately, the virus will get them in time. Many experts cite our nation's lack of preparedness to deal with the pandemic. In 2011, Nathan Wolf wrote Viral Storm, Dawn of the Pandemic Age, his description of an unnamed virus spreading globally because of the increasing proximity of humans to wild animals could serve as a roadmap for the COVID-19 experience we're having today. In a 2015 TED Talk, Bill Gates describes how as a nation we are totally unprepared to detect, diagnose, and deter an event of this type. The 2018 and 2019 worldwide threat assessments sounded similar alarms. In response, the CDC cut its global disease prevention budget by 80%. After 9-11, firefighters and law enforcement personnel became collectively known as first responders, ready to protect us from people and events that would do us harm. With the global pandemic, it's easy to see this definition is far too narrow. First responders are also doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and other healthcare workers helping us to deal with this disease. But they're also the people who keep food coming, Amazon deliveries arriving, the lights turning on, and the internet working so that we can adhere to the quarantine orders. One of my classmates would often say, Homeland Security is hometown security. To keep my hometown secure, we depend on each other's efforts. At 8 p.m. every night, my neighbors howl like wolves, blow horns, and hit cowbells to show their appreciation for all the unsung people that help us stay safe during this national crisis. The unofficial motto of the elementary school near my house is simple and fitting. Take care of yourself, take care of others, and take care of this place. To read Don's thesis, Law Enforcement's Role in Preventing Epidemics, Enforcing Communicable Disease Quarantine Policies, visit the Homeland Security Digital Library. If you're looking for response guidance for your agency, visit cdc.gov forward slash coronavirus. Enter law enforcement in the upper right search field, and you'll find a whole host of resources. CHDS is the nation's homeland security educator and part of the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Since 2002, CHDS has provided a neutral educational forum where current and future homeland security leaders discuss policies, strategies, and programs needed to counter terrorism and handle catastrophic events. For information on the master's, executive leadership, or other academic programs, visit chds.us.